0: You're listening to Episode 89 of the Marathon Running Podcast. In this episode, we're going to talk about all things Boston 2022. This is the Marathon Running Podcast by Letty and Ryan from We Got The Runs. Join us in our running community for weekly content that is motivational, educational, And inspirational, and let the marathon running podcast take you from the starting line to the finish line and beyond. Hey, runners! Welcome to episode
1: eighty-nine. Hi, Eddie, and runners.
0: Hi, Ryan. How is it going?
1: So, what do you mean by that varied intro that you said earlier? Who's your guest?
0: My guest is Dave McGilvery, and he is the boston marathon race director
1: did you actually send out the zoom invite
0: had to talk with him this morning after timely sending out the zoom invite thank you very much for reminding me and here we are i know more than you do about this race so you can ask me all about it but before we dive into that i wanted to thank our existing listeners for tuning in every week we see the numbers and we really appreciate it. And for everyone new, welcome. We hope that we can provide you with interesting content on all things running, training, etc. I also want to invite you to join our Facebook group. It's called the Speed Striders, where we do fun challenges um, coming up this week. Guess what kind of challenge we're going to do, Ryan?
1: I think you're doing bingo.
0: Yes. H- how did you know?
1: <laughs> because you were working on it let me tell you.
0: Yes, so we've been working on a blackout bingo, which I don't know if you know this, but blackout bingo is when you have to hit every single space on the 25 space bingo card. We're going to do groups of runners from all over the world, and we'll have funny fields on there such as run a 10k, take an ice bath and post a selfie, that sort of thing, just in an attempt to keep everybody motivated and uh, engaged in running. So our group's picked up since last year. It's awesome. And again, if you want to join us, I'm going to link it in the description here. And also it's Facebook group called Speed Striders.
1: It's funny you referenced run a 10k after the funny things on the board right after you said that. Oh, did I? (laughs) There's gonna be a bunch of different stuff on there, right? Some of them being funny.
0: I guess a ten K is not that funny. I guess it's fun. So we have fun and funny things. Is that why is that why you're pointing this out?
1: That seems more appropriate.
0: Yeah. So So anyway, I just wanted to pitch that real quick before we talk more about Boston.
1: What are some good teasers?
0: So Dave McGilvery is A very interesting person his story of how he started running and how he first ran his Boston is super interesting Um, also he is an endurance runner, he is a philanthropist he raises a ton of money every year so you know it's very interesting to hear him talk about all that we also talked about how people that fundraise are viewed in the community
1: Are you required to have a vaccine this year?
0: Yes, for 2022, as we all know, you have to have the COVID vaccine.
1: Are there any exceptions?
0: There are some medical exceptions. I don't know exactly what the uh, guidelines are for those.
1: Those questions are not in any way indicative of my opinion on the vaccine. I was just asking because people probably want to know.
0: That's exactly what I would say as myself, your lawyer.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Me, myself and I. Yes. The team. Yes. The podcast team.
0: (laughs) So actually, the vaccine topic I brought up when I initially sent the questions to Dave Mm -hmm. McGilvery, who is a contractor, a contracted race director for the BAA, the Boston Athletic Association. And we cleared the questions with the BAA. And the vaccine was something I wanted to talk about, but... I was told not to speak to him about, not because they didn't want to talk about the topic, but because Dave is simply the race director. So he puts on the hat of the person who organizes the race or the logistics after decisions have been made. So he had nothing really to do with those decisions. He just takes whatever decision they make and puts the race into place.
1: That makes sense. Yeah. It's kind of a controversial topic, too.
0: It is a controversial topic, which was probably why I was trying to get it in, because, you know, I like it when it gets juicy.
1: (laughs) Are they going to do the virtual run again, or a virtual run, in addition to the main regular in-person run?
0: Well, you're going to have to listen to the entire interview to find out, because the answer is somewhere in there. Ah. So, I bet you can't wait, including you listeners. So, without any further ado, I'm now going to play my conversation with race director Dave McGillery. All right. So, I'm here with Dave McGillery. Dave, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Yeah, my pleasure. Um, looking forward to chatting and obviously looking forward to getting back to quote unquote normal, whatever that is anymore, in April.
0: Right. So for those runners that are new, we have a bunch of listeners that started running during the pandemic and people that are new to Boston. You are the Boston race director, but you have a lot more roles than that. You're an endurance runner, you're a philanthropist, um, you co-authored a book called The Last Pick. Perhaps introduce yourself to our runners and perhaps also talk about not just how you start running, but the story about your grandpa in Boston.
2: Yeah. Well, um, you know, for me growing up in Boston, obviously a very sports-orientated town with all the, you know, Red Sox, Patriots, Celtics, Bruins, and so forth. And growing up here, I, as a young boy, you know, I always had that sort of goal of becoming a professional athlete, but again, because perhaps I was a little bit shorter in stature than what most professional athletes are. Um, I was always seemingly the last one cut from the teams when I went out for the teams and uh, the last one picked when my friends pick sides, you know, in the park leagues. Um, so not to be denied, I started running because nobody can catch you from running. And, you know, I just said, I'm going to challenge myself and see what happens. And so I started doing all these personal uh challenges running my age on my birthday when i was 12 i ran 12 miles on my 12th birthday when i was 13 13 miles and 14 14 miles and i've been keeping that tradition going now for 55 years uh exponentially it gets more difficult because not only does it get longer but you're getting older so it's harder to do it but that's the challenge of it all so and then when i was um 17 i decided i wanted to uh Participate in the Boston Marathon. I wasn't exactly sure what it was all about. I just heard about it mainly on the radio. And um, so I had called my grandfather up, who was a supporter of my athleticism. And he lived near the marathon course. He knew all about it. And I just said, hey, grandpa, I want to go run in that race. And he said, oh, they call that the Boston Marathon. I said, oh, well, that's a good name for it. Um, I'm going to go run it. And he said, okay, I'll meet you you know, at Coolidge Corner. And I said, Great, where's that? He says, That's at the 24 mile point. I said, All right. Well, I was a senior in high school. I hadn't officially registered for the race. My brother drove me out to the start. I took off and, you know, around 20 miles, boom, down I go in the hills in Newton, Heartbreak Hill area. And I got taken to the Newton Wellesley Hospital in an ambulance and called my parents. They picked me up, went home, called my grandfather, no answer, Call him again, no answer. Nine o'clock at night, he answers the phone. I said, Grandpa, where have you been? He goes, Dave, where have you been? I've been waiting for you all night. The old man, Kelly, goes by. The street sweepers go by. No, Dave. And I said, yeah, I, I apologize. I, I failed. He said, you what? I said, I quit. He said, no, nah, you didn't quit. I said, I didn't. What I do? He said, you learned. I said, great. What I learned? He said, you learned that you cannot go along in life and set reckless goals. He said, you had no business being in that race. You didn't train for it. You didn't earn the right to do it. And I said, Okay, I, I get it. He said, I'll cut another deal with you. I said, what? He said, you train for it next year and register, and I'll be here waiting for you. Said, I said, deal. Well, two months later, unfortunately, my grandfather passed away of a heart attack. And I said, I got to keep, I got to do this for grandpa. And I trained, trained, trained for the next year, 1973. I officially registered. I was ready to go and the day before I got sick. My parents said, you can't run. I said, I have to run the newspapers the same day, running in memory of grandfather. And they said, well, you're just too sick. And I said, can you give me something that very few other people have ever given me before? And they said, what's that? And I said, a chance. Isn't that all we ever want in life is a chance to accomplish something? And they said, "Okay, fine. They drove me to the start and I took off and I'm running along and I'm like, this is awful. I really I really shouldn't be here today. But I kept going and finally got to the point where I dropped out the year before and I'm doing a survivor shuffle over the hills. and. You no, know, I'm I'm getting through it, but then um finally I get to um about 21.5 and down I go again. And I I I sat on the curb, put my head in my hands, and I was like, you know, I guess just this just wasn't meant to be. And um, you know, here I want to be a professional athlete in Boston and I'm the last one picked and the last one cut. And I drop out of my first Boston and drop out of my second Boston and you know, I'm just starting to lose a little bit that maybe, again, this wasn't meant to be. And then all of a sudden, what I call a defining moment happened where I turned around and I recognized where I was. And I was sitting in front of the Evergreen Cemetery, which is right on the Boston Marathon course. And that's where they um, buried my grandfather. And, um, you know, I was, I was pretty amazed because, you know, Harry, he said he'd be here and you know, maybe he wasn't there, you know, sort of um, physically, but he was there spiritually, and he he kept his end of the deal. And I thought, well, if he can keep his end of the deal, I'm going to keep my end of the deal. And I picked myself up and I continued along, and I actually finished the race in four and a half hours. And I said to myself that day in 1973 that I'm going to run this race every year for the rest of my life in honor, a tribute of the lesson my grandfather taught me about earning the right to do it. And so this April will be my 50th consecutive Boston Marathon. And I was fortunate to be able to continue to keep my commitment to my grandfather and to myself to run it every single year since 1973.
0: That's such an amazing story in in just so many ways. Just first of all, how it happened with your grandpa. And then I guess we'll hop into the whole running it for 50 years a little bit later. But I wanted to talk about something else you said, the right to earn So specifically, Boston is one of those races where you do have to earn the right either through time qualifying or by participating through a charity, because in that case, you're doing so much more. And lately on social media, on different Facebook groups, I've seen a lot of charity runners post and ask regular runners or people that qualified for Boston, how do you guys feel about charity runners? And I've Mm -hmm. seen nothing but support because... They're not just training like we are, but they're also fundraising. So I wanted you to perhaps address the importance of charity runners and how much of an impact they really make for Boston.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, Boston is the holy grail. Um, you know, when people say to me, you know, the race director, I said, well, yeah, I'm the race director, but I'm, I'm more of a caretaker. What do you mean? I said, I'm just taking care of it. It was for a while. It was here way before I was born and it'll be here way after I'm gone. And I'm just sort of taking care of it. So I didn't really set the rules and I didn't really make it what it is today. I just played a little part in that. And um, but it is considered the most prestigious marathon in the world. And people have it on their bucket list. And, you know, it's almost like you haven't run a marathon until you've run Boston. Well, that's not true. But uh, the fact of the matter is everybody wants to sort of make it here to uh, the promised land to um, it's sort of their little Olympics, their World Series, their Super Bowl here, Tour de France. So I get it. And those of us on the management side understand our responsibility and obligation to sort of really put on a quality event. And so the Boston Marathon historically has been pretty much always about the pursuit of athletic excellence. But then, you know, in the, in the early 70s and, and, and after, um, the uh, walls of intimidation crumbled. People started believing in themselves and philanthropy entered this, the space, and so so did the the boston marathon and the baa decided to introduce maybe a a charity component to it not just you know you, you can only run if 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 you are the best of the best even though that was the sort of foundation by which we created the qualifying standards it still we felt there was room for um another way to enter and To do it for a greater purpose so the charity program began and we have a delicate balance between qualifiers which is about 80 percent of the race and non-qualifiers which is about 20 percent of the race and we make we don't try to hide that fact we're proud of it as a matter of fact so we try to accommodate as many different parts of you know our total constituency as as possible and and again the the charity run is um you know, they have to train just as hard, if not harder in, in certain regards, um, and be as disciplined and earn the right to toe the line in terms of being fit enough to do it. Because each charity has their own program and their own coaches and their own training uh, regimen. But the other component is they have to raise a minimum amount of money. And in many cases, it's it's a lot of money. It's 5000 or 10000 or $12,000. And that's not Easy for a lot of people to achieve. So they're working really hard, both physically to train for the marathon and philanthropically to raise money for worthy causes. And combined, um, each year we raise, you know, $39 million between what the BAA does and what the John Hancock charity program does collectively. And last year we, we hit the over 400 million. Mark over the over the last years of fundraising. So we're really proud of being able to give back to the local community and charities all over New England. Um, so, yeah, it's a it's a combination of both, um, you know, the, the qualifiers and the charity runners that sort of make up what what the Boston Marathon is all about now.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's uh, it's great to hear some numbers, too, that we can kind of visualize that a little bit. So with that, I want to kind of hop back into you again. Um, Last week, I was speaking with Bart Yasso, and he was able in his lifetime to turn his passion for running into a job, you know, with with Runner's World. So for you, you loved running. How did you end up in the position as a director for the BAA?
2: Yeah, well, I got a degree in mathematics, and I went to work for a benefit consulting firm, and... I was working in the John Hancock Tower, which is right at the finish line of the marathon. And I started just thinking about what I wanted to really do with the rest of my life. And being a runner, I said, you know, I want to challenge myself to do something different, do something extraordinary. And I just decided a friend of mine had biked across the United States from my hometown of Medford, Mass to Medford, Oregon. And I thought, if he can bike across the country, I can run across the country. Well, that's kind of an idiotic comparison because biking and running are very different. But I just figured, no, if I work really hard and train really hard and earn the right, as my grandfather taught me to do it, I I, I might be able to do this. And then I said, well, I need to combine it with something else, maybe a greater purpose, because it's going to be really hard to get out there every single day running 40, 50 miles every single day. So in working at the Hancock Tower, I sort of looked out the window one day and I saw Fenway Park and I saw a sign out in right field said, help make a dream come true, support the Jimmy Fund. Well, I wasn't really sure what the Jimmy Fund was. And I picked up the phone and I called and found out that it was the fundraising arm of the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute and basically helping kids um, do uh, with, with cancer and do uh, research to try to, you know, specifically focus on, on children with cancer. And I thought that's what I want to do. I want to someone else in the process not just run across the country and and that's what i ended up doing so i ran from method oregon to method mass finishing in in fenway park in front of thirty five thousand people and raising hundreds of thousands of dollars for the jimmy fund and and i think that's what sort of got me going in terms of combining um uh, fundraising with my running and i just it just motivated me even more to give back so after that i decided to open up an athletic footwear and clothing store in my hometown and then i started putting on events to promote the store and i realized i like putting on events more than shoes on people's feet so i started an event management company and that was very different than what what it's like in the world today because back then there weren't that many events there was the boston marathon and a few other road races but there weren't all these races that exist There's such a proliferation of events now And um, but I said, no, I can do this. And people would say to me, you really think you can earn a living putting on road races? I said, well, that's not what I'm doing. They said, well, what are you doing if you're not putting on road races? I said, what I'm actually doing is I'm helping to raise the level of self-confidence and self-esteem of tens of thousands of people in this country. They're like, really? I said, yeah, that's what this sport does. You know, you set a goal, you work really hard, you toe the line, you answer the gun, you run the course, you cross the finish line, you get a medal, and magic happens. You go home feeling good about yourself. And there's nothing more powerful in this world than to feel good about yourself, because that's the very foundation by which we accomplish everything. So I knew that back then, and I knew someday that that's exactly what was going to happen in our industry, and that's exactly what did happen in our industry. And so I grew my business and started Putting on more and more events, and then I got a call from um, the BAA, Boston Athletic Association, saying they were looking to hire a technical coordinator for the marathon because the year before they had some issues at the start, and they wanted to bring someone in to help, you know, maybe clean that up and and help, you know, manage the logistics of the race. So I applied and got the job and. I've been there for thirty-five years ever since, and and that's how I ended up starting to run, and that's how I ended up running across the country and getting starting a business, and then ultimately getting the job with the uh, Boston Marathon.
0: That's awesome. And did you continue with your own company? Do you are you also the race director for other races?
2: Yeah. So yeah, definitely. I'm an independent contractor with the BAA. I'm not an employee. Um, so I'm a consultant, I guess you could say. Um, I went from technical coordinator to technical director to race director became titled the race director in 2001 and that's what i've been ever since but all along i've been um continuing with my own business dave mcgovey sports enterprises which is affectionately known as Dimsey sports so we've been putting on races again for the last 40 years about 1600 events all over the country actually all over the world Um, everything from, you know, triathlons to road races, marathons to, you know, just, just mass participatory athletic events, charity walks, everything. So, you know, all our events combined with what we have done and all the events we've created and managed, we've helped raise over $200 million for various causes and various, um, charities. So we're really, really proud of that, Um, you know, I directed the triathlon world championship. I've directed US Olympic trial marathons uh, all over, you know, St. Louis, Boston, um, just a lot of lot of events. And we continue to do that. When when the pandemic came, you know, all our events were were went over the cliff, unfortunately, in 2020. We had 35 events scheduled for the year and we lost every single one of them. And I always prided myself in thinking that this industry was bulletproof; that nothing was ever going to take it down, because people always gravitated to wanting to do something good for themselves, and and that's what we provided. But the pandemic, I guess, had um, you know another another way of looking at it, I guess, and everything went away. But then, you know, now it's all coming back, and we're 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 back at it again.
0: Wow, I didn't realize that you wore the hat of the director in so many different events. Yet earlier when we spoke, you still called the Boston Marathon the Holy Grail. So perhaps we can talk about that. Um, why is Boston the Holy Grail? So what makes this event so special and sets it apart for so m- from so many other marathons in your knowledge?
2: Well, certainly, I mean... You know, it's the oldest continuous marathon in the world, so that's number one. Uh, the best marathon is uh, to have ever walked the face of this planet, have run the Boston Marathon. So, you know, when when and if you do, you're running along pretty much the same course as all those um, elites and and amazing athletes that have come before all of us. Um, I think that um, you know the fact that you have to qualify sets it apart from any other marathon in the world, maybe except for the Olympic marathon. Um, I think the course itself has, um, some significant character to it. It, It's, um, it's relatively downhill course. So you have to really know the course in order to run it. Well, it can be humbling if, if you try to try to, um, sort of beat it at its own game and, and, you know, you're, you're doing the survivor shuffle for the last six miles. If you don't know exactly how to run the course itself or train for this particular course. So that's a unique factor in all of this. Of course, all the volunteers, over 10,000 volunteers that have come back from year to year to year. Our, one of our greatest assets is is the experience and the expertise of you know the committee and and all the volunteers associated with it, um, and then of course, you know the spectators. Are, you know five hundred thousand to a million line the course. And what's unique about Boston that's maybe different than a lot of other world marathon majors or major marathons throughout the world is that it does actually go through mainly residential um, communities. So people just walk out their front door and you know they become a spectator for the Boston marathon so it's it's kind of neat that every year from year to year you see the same people you know on their front lawn doing the exact same thing having a cookout a barbecue or whatever and just partying like rock stars while we're all out there running in the marathon and and they're very educated they know exactly what to say and you know you you don't get to the six mile mark and say, where to go. You're almost done. You know, no, I'm not. I got 20 miles to go. So, I mean, they know exactly, you know, what to say and when to say it and what to hand out. And it's, it's pretty cool. So, again, there's just so many different features of the Boston Marathon that have been in place for so many years that sets it apart from, you know, many, many other marathons around the world.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I have to agree with you because last year I did my first um, in-person. I did the virtual first and then the in-person one. And, you know, I'd heard about the Boston Marathon in 2010 and thought to myself, okay, now it's been hyped up in my mind for the last 10 years. I've heard only good things about it. So it's kind of like you were expecting for it to not be as great because it's just been hyped up in your head. So then I traveled there and it... Exceeded my expectations, and that just completely blew me away. That the entire area by the finish line had turned into an athlete's village, so to speak. You only saw yeah. people walking around with their jackets on, and the festivities, and just the entire mood. Even masked up on a bus going to our rolling start, it was just a huge, epic experience. The cheerfulness before, or after, it was just something that I definitely will be running again.
2: <laughs> well, that's good. Uh, you know, I mean, we, you know, last year was was pretty amazing in that, you know, we, we're, we're sort of chasing this pandemic and 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 it's a moving target as we're planning and not really knowing what it's going to be like once race week shows up. And so we have to make some decisions early on so we can plan, but we're not really sure that everything is going to be able to go as, as planned and, and that's why we felt that we needed to decrease the overall field size um, from 30,000 to 20. And we had to think about how are we going to be sort of socially distant from one another just so that, you know, we keep it safe and come up with the concept of the rolling start and never have ever done that at this race before, not knowing, is this going to work? Are people going to accept this? Are people going to, um, you know, sort of follow the rules and the policies that we set in place and get on the right bus at the right time and all of that. But when it was all said and done, it it just seemed to go extremely well. I think people, um, it it, it reminded me of two other race, Boston Marathon races. One was the hundredth in 1996. And it was, that was epic. You know, just the fact celebrating a hundred years and we had, we went from 9,000 the year before in 1995 to 40,000 in 1996. And it was, it was um, um, an unbelievable experience. And then, of course, the recovery year after the bombing. So the bombing in 2013 and the recovery year in 2014. And just the fact that people came back with this whole sense of pride and Boston strong, and we're not going to be denied our running freedom. And we're going to take back the finish line. We're going to take back Boylston Street, and it was just epic. And then, and then in October, same thing. Just the fact that we had been away from it for, for so long, and and you know now we're all back together again, and and people adjusted, and um, you know they they basically cooperated with whatever we could do and whatever way we set it up. They said, okay, we're going to follow the rules, and they did, and. It just turned out great.
0: Yes, absolutely. And um, yeah, I want to talk about those changes actually a little bit more. But just to point out, as you mentioned before, you're a contractor and you are not an employee of the BAA. So when arranging this interview... I spoke with the director of communications and we've decided not to ask, obviously, the most pressing questions about the vaccines because you're not the best person to speak to about that because decisions are made and then you are more in charge of the logistics of all of it. However, I would like to talk about the virtual options that had been added, added since uh, last year of virtual options where you didn't have to qualify. Is that something that the BAA thinks is will stick around?
2: Um, definitely not for, for this coming year, April, um, tough to say what the future will bring based on people's level of interest and, and, you know, where the BAA may want to go with it. Um, you know, obviously, you know, to, to at least give people a little bit of a, a sense of the Boston marathon with the swag, the metal and the shirts and all that is, um, you know, is, is, it is, is is something we, we off, you know, could offer um, the year before last year and even last year. Um, but at the same time, there's nothing like being here. You experienced it. And so, you know, that's, that's our focus more than anything, not, not, not necessarily something where people are running around their neighborhood and, and they say they ran the Boston marathon. I think that, you know, only because that's all we had for the most part in 2020 um, did we do that. Um, I don't know that that's 100% what we want to continue with down the road, but you never know until we get there. But right now, um, it's just an in-person race in 2022.
0: And when it did happen in 2020, when you know Boston was canceled, the Boston Marathon did put on the virtual and it was a pretty well-organized virtual event because unlike most races where you just get a shirt at the most with a medal, you guys had set up an app, you had set up little virtual cues and cards and audio and all sorts of things. And were you involved in planning this as well?
2: Yeah, and some of it, not all of it, but some of it for sure was a team effort by a lot of different work groups from communication to marketing to operations to you know, all the different work groups that make up, um, the team. Um, and again, I, the BAA takes pride in, in anything that they do, you know, anything that they touch, they want to, they try to do it at a whole different standard, raise the bar and just try to be the best at anything that they commit to. And I think the virtual, uh, showed that for sure that people, we, we, I guess the cliche, they say we made lemonade out of lemons. You know, we, at least we're able to um, you know, provide a very unique and maybe once-in-a-lifetime experience for a lot of runners all over the world, uh, given that we were in the midst of a very um, tragic pandemic.
0: Yes, absolutely, especially since a lot of them are still not able to leave their country. So that was very nice to have that be uh, inclusive. Although, like you said, it's not the same thing running a Boston in September in Florida at over 80 degrees compares nothing with the real experience. so yeah. All right, so I've only known the Rolling start, and I absolutely loved it because it was just the smoothest thing ever. I thought, oh, maybe, maybe it won't be the same type of experience. I had done Berlin two weeks prior, and I loved how in Berlin we stood in the corrals and everybody was swaying their hands and singing along to songs. and I thought, oh, How can Boston, how can a rolling start be anything like that, standing at the starting line and doing that? And then it somehow worked very well. And maybe because of the spectators, maybe because of the amounts of people that were there running it. And so my question is, will the rolling start stick around? Will it be there for 2022? And might it be there for the future?
2: Um, Obviously, good question. And I would agree with you that we got a lot of feedback by a lot of runners saying they really liked the experience of the rolling start mainly because they didn't have to wait out at the starting line for an hour or two hours before their gun would fire. So we understand that for sure. I think people have to understand uh, the dynamics that we're working with in order to produce this race and understand that you know, we have no more real estate to do business uh now uh than they had a hundred years ago when they only had a hundred people in the race. So we have to do for thirty thousand people what they did for a hundred, you know, people back, you know, whatever number of years ago. Um, our starting line is only 39 feet wide. You know, you have New York City Marathon has, I don't know, 17 lanes or the verrazano Bridge. I mean, we have 39 feet. So people have to just have an understanding of uh, what we're up against in order to um, mainly stop this race, but the entire the entire course. Um, so it's about two things: it's about time, how much time you have to conduct the event and space, how much space you have to work within, and so both of them work against us because like I said, you know we we're going through residential communities, so we're landlocking them and And we're imposing on their um, freedom to be able to get out of their house and go to work or do whatever they need to do. We just shut the roads down. So we're, um, you know, we're sensitive to that to minimize the impact. And um, we only have the roads for only a certain period of time. So for twenty. 21 we went to the cities and towns and asked because of the extraordinary situation we were up against we asked for an extra hour on the front end for road closure and they were generous enough to give it to us noting that this is probably uh, one and done we'll give it to you this year but we want to take it back so that you know we can continue to serve our communities and then the other thing was we reduced the field size in 2021 10,000 people and maybe even less than 10,000 maybe even more than 10,000 people which effectively made the race with no shows and everything else maybe half the size of the typical uh field of 30,000 people so this year we decided to go back to 30,000 people so with 10 plus thousand more people and one hour less to start the race l- looking into and analyzing the concept of a rolling start um, just started fading away because we couldn't make the math work. Uh, in other words, when you had the rolling start, we had less people and more time. Now we have more people and less time. So as a result, it, it, it doesn't work um, in terms of the timeline of all of this. So right now, the plan is to go back to the way it was in 2019 and before, and that is wave starts and corrals And i think that's still good we're gonna do our best to minimize the wait time at the start try to deliver athletes to the start a little bit later so they don't have to wait as long and then make their way down to their wave and their corral and off they go the other thing that we're really sensitive to is the concept of because the majority of people in the race have qualified They effectively have a reservation for a specific spot on the road and everyone next to them are supposed to be of equal ability level in other words when the gun fires they don't necessarily have anyone in front of them who's slower than them impeding their progress whereas with a rolling start you can't guarantee that but with a wave and corral start you can because you can force when people get into their wave and when people get into their corral so i think in that sense, it would be a better experience to go back to the way it was with us trying our best to try to minimize the downtime in Hopkinton. So that's pretty much what's going to happen. At least that's the plan right now for April.
0: Yeah, thank you for explaining that. That makes a lot of sense with the timing and everything and the hours that you get. And, um, you know, like I said, my only one Boston I ran in person was with the Rolling Start. And I'm sure that, uh, Having the regular start will just be just of an epic experience. So,
2: Well, like you started off by sailing in Berlin and stuff. Some people did comment and I get it, but you can't, you can't do it both ways, obviously. So they're like, well, I missed the camaraderie and people all together. And, you know, at the start and, and the hype and that didn't exist with the rolling stock in a sense, because people just, we, it was a drop and go drop. Boom. Make your way down to the start. And just when can I go? You can go anytime you want. Go, go. You know, that kind of a thing instead of everyone together and yelling and screaming and getting ready for the gun start. So it was very different experience. So I get that. So, you know, we did it once and those who were able to experience it like yourself, that's great. And then, you know, um, now we go back to the way it was and and see how that works out for this year.
0: Yeah. And I'm sure it'll be great, I guess, unless it's raining, right?
2: Yeah, right. Well, it's never good when it's raining, but so fingers crossed.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So my last question goes back to you. Um, You had vowed to your grandfather that you would be running Boston every single year. Then you became race director. Obviously, as race director, you are more involved and you're at the front line and you're watching people finish cheering them on. So please tell us, how is it that you still manage to run Boston every year?
2: Yeah, so... I ran it for 15 years in a row and then get off at the job to help manage it. And I was like, ah, what do I do? I made this commitment to run in it. now Now I'm being asked to help run it. Like, what do I do? And anyways, I said, I can't pass up the opportunity to be involved in the management side of the event. So I took the job and I was standing and this was 1988 and I was standing at the finish line and everyone's finishing and I'm high fiving people and everyone's. Exuberant and everything else, but I'm not. And again, it was a little bit of being full of self pity because I was seeing them finish when I wanted to run too. So I just said, Well, you know, I have a motto on my life, and the motto is uh, my game, my rules. So it's my game, it's my rules. So um, I tapped a state police trooper on the shoulder and I said, Officer, oh, so will you do me a favor? And he said, What? I said, Will you drive me back to the start? He goes, Why'd you forget something? I said, Yeah, I forgot to run. And uh, he said, sure. And he drove me back. I got back to the start about eight o'clock at night and ran the whole thing by myself and finished at 11 o'clock at night, you know, dead last. And um, and it just became a tradition. And so that's what I've been doing for the last 35 years is helping the director during the day. And then, you know, when the majority of people are done, I go back out and run it myself and have historically been just about the last finisher every single year. Um, for the last 35 years. And this April will be my 35th at night and my 50th consecutive Boston, Boston Marathon, if all goes well.
0: <laughs> That's so cool. So so since you've done it for so long, do you now have a following or do people throw you a party at the big end? Or?
2: Well, it's yeah, it is interesting because in the early years when I was running it, you know, people were still out on their lawns after partying all day, maybe a little bit, you know, after having a few and they're yelling and screaming and they're like, hey, you slug, pick it up. You know, the old man went by a long time ago, you know, and they're thinking that I'm just way, way, way behind. They have no idea who the heck I am. You know, I don't blame them. And but eventually over the years, with some um you know, media attention and everything, people figured it out. And now a lot of people are actually waiting on their front lawns till the last runner, which is the race director. So they go, Way to go, you know, and they're yelling out my name now, and I'm like wow, they know, they actually know who the heck I am, which is pretty cool. And, and I've had a lot of, you know, neat people at the finish line, holding a break tape, former winners of the race and all that kind of family and friends and, and stuff. So yeah, it's, it's been, um, you know, it's, it's sort of the calm after the storm and, um, it's been a great tradition. Um, you know, I, I'm, it's getting hard though. I mean, I'm 67 years old now and to be on my feet most of the day and all that sort of pressure of the race and not eating the way I probably should be eating because I'm just busy with the race and then going back out and running a marathon is, is getting a little bit tedious. When I was in my thirties, it was kind of like not a big deal, but now being in my seventies or sixties, I'm like, this is getting hard, you know? So, Eventually, I want to start running it running again during the day with everyone else. So I'm looking forward to when that might happen again.
0: Oh, yeah, that makes sense. I didn't think about the fact that you are running it at the end of the day, which is already hard when you're not doing stuff during the day. But kudos to you. If you're yeah. going to do that in 2023, which is when I'm going to run Boston next, yeah. then I will touch base with you and I'll be there yes, to cheer please. you on at the finish line.
2: Thank you. <laughs> All righty.
0: Well, thank you, Dave, so much for coming Great. on. And um, sure. if you want to uh, let us know what your website is, if people want to get in touch with you.
2: Yeah, it's just um, DMSC sports, um, dot com. It's Dave McGilvey Sports Enterprises. So DMSC is our website and everything that we do and contacts and all that is up on the website.
0: Perfect. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you. All right. You take care of yourself.
0: Thank you. You too. All right, bye. Bye-bye. Thank you, Dave, for coming on again. I hope to be in Boston in 2023. And if I do go, I hope to cheer you in as you run your Boston in the evening after the race.
1: That's cool that he runs the race after everyone.
0: That's what I thought, too. So, and that's it for this week. Next week, a little preview We're going to talk with David Levine, the head coach of the LA Roadrunners, about why polarizing your running works.
1: Are you running with a magnet?
0: (laughs) No, polarizing your running as in running your hard runs hard and fast and running your easy runs super easy.
1: Oh, that makes more sense.
0: Yes. And we're going to hop into the science of it all. I'm going to put my nerd hat on because that stuff actually really interests and intrigues me so if you guys are up for that tune in next monday and with that
1: have a great week of running
0: thanks for tuning in for more information head to www.runningpodcast.us and as always have a great week of running